0: following talk is from New Community. For more information about New Community, check out newcommunitychurch.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Today we're starting a new series called Step Into The Story, and uh, over the next three weeks we're going to unpack what we mean by Step Into The Story. And so I want to start by by telling you the stories of three real-life, real people, Larry... Steve and a guy named Luke. A number of years ago there was a guy called Larry Walters in California who went to an army surplus store in the states and bought himself 75 used weather balloons. He inflated them, you know, like those massive uh, weather balloons, not like little things at kids parties, big ones. He inflated them, attached them to like a lawn chair and then that he had secured to the back of his uh, pickup truck. And then with several friends watching, he climbed into the chair, settled in, and got his friends to untie the ropes. He was hoping, a friend said later, to observe the neighborhood from a slightly different angle and gain a new perspective on his life. He took nothing with him except for a peanut butter sandwich, a six-pack of beer, and a fully-loaded BB gun. Two and a half hours later, the Los Angeles International Airport reported an unidentified flying object in the skies above LAX at nearly 16,000 feet. Launcher Larry, the reclining cosmonaut, uh, was now three miles into the sky and a hundred miles away from where he started. And the pilot who first spotted Lawn Chair Larry was flying his 737, and literally, this is exactly what was recorded from the flight deck, said, well, I see what looks like a perfectly still man sitting in, is that a lawn chair? And I think he's holding a rifle. (laughs) So the rescue teams were were called and and a SWAT team somehow miraculously managed to lasso Larry who had passed out in the chair and they fetched fetched him and pulled him safely back to the ground. In case you were curious, his plan all along had been to lazily saunter up to the right altitude and then use his BB gun to start shooting and popping the balloons to keep him at the right altitude and uh, then he would gently float back down to earth. However, the moment he was untied from his pickup, friends said that he shot into the air as if fired from a cannon he panicked and did the only thing he knew what to do which was to drink all of the beer really quickly and passed out and fell asleep in his chair when he was eventually brought back, this is an absolutely true story, you can Google it. When, when, he, was, uh, when he was on the ground and he was revived, being revived back to consciousness, Larry was promptly issued with a $4,000 ticket by local police for the obstruction of airport traffic. He later got that reduced to 1500 on appeal, but a local journalist said to him, Larry, were you scared? Yes, he said. In fact, that's actually not exactly what he said, but we're in church, and I am <laughs> I can't repeat it exactly. Larry, would you do it again? No, said Larry. At least I kind of guess he's a fast learner. Larry, why did you do it? He just said, I wanted an adventure. I got tired of always sitting around. I wanted an adventure. I got tired of always just sitting around. You see, Larry's story is really actually rather similar to many people. Admittedly, probably none of us in this room have ever been so stupid as to do something like that, but we're, so often, lots of people, their lives, they're looking for a sense of adventure. No, it might not do it that way, but they're kind of tired of sitting around. The story that they're living in, in their life, doesn't really give them a sense of fulfillment and meaning, and so what they do is they go looking for it. They go looking for it in all sorts of different places. question I have for you today, what story do you live in? What's the story that that frames your life? What's the story that means the reason you do the things you do, why you make the decisions that you make? You see, we might never have thought about the fact that we all live within the framework, within the boundaries of stories, but we do. And we can't live, none of us can, without a sense of story. We can't live without a sense of this is why this is going on, this is where that's happening, this is where I come from, this is where I'm going. We can't live, like in the same way you, you read a book that's got a terrible plot, it doesn't seem to be working, you just think this is pointless. We want to live our lives like we're on some kind of quest, journey, adventure. We want to feel like we're progressing, that it has some kind of plot. This is where I was. This is where I'm going. This is how I'm going to get there. And some of us are living in stories from family legacy. Some of us are trying to escape our family legacy. We heard it in our worship, that wonderful word. Some of us are living, frankly, within a story of disappointment. That's what frames why we do what we do. Some of us are pursuing stories of wealth and success and, and fame. Some of us want to live the story of a hero. And we do in our fantasy world. But in reality, our lives, we think, are pretty boring. Second story I want to tell you is about a guy named Steve Davis, not the snooker player. Steve Davis, ever since he was five years old, wanted to play for West Ham. He was a massive West Ham fan, like, had all the posters, all the shirts all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, he just dreamed of playing for West Ham. He would go and watch them home and away, even though home games involved a 180-mile round trip from his house in Rushton. He loved them so much that when he got married and had a kid, his first kid was named after Trevor Brookin. Poor kid. And Steve went on to play amateur football for a team uh, near in, Mult- in Milton Keynes. And he said, I was never really good enough, if I'm honest. But really, I was just distracted by traveling to see West Ham all the time, home and away, wherever he went. One day, a friend, another West Ham fan, uh, phoned Steve and said, we've got a preseason game over at Oxford. Do you fancy it? It was a summer's night in 1994. And the West Ham manager at the time was uh, Harry Redknapp. And he said this, Steve said this, Harry being Harry, he talks to people. He said hello and all that. A few fans exchanged pleasantries. There was no airs and graces with Harry. And then the game kicked off. And West Ham's uh, star striker at the time was a guy named Lee Chapman, and he was getting grief from the Oxford defenders. They were just giving him a whole load of verbals. And so Steve on the sideline thought he was playing rubbish, so he'd join in and give him a whole load of verbals as well. And very soon, he wasn't impressed at all with how the, the team was playing, so he started giving Harry Redknapp a whole load of verbals as well. He starts shouting, out, we ain't got that Lee Chapman playing up front every week, do we? I ain't coming every week. If he's, if he's playing, half-time comes and Harry Redknapp makes five substitutions but someone was injured and there's no one left to bring on so harry redknapp turns round to the crowd and the one who was the most vocal one steve and says to him oi can you play as good as you can talk and suddenly harry redknapp is is walking steve into the changing room what's your name son what size boots do you wear And Steve, much to his disbelief, is now fully kitted up in West Ham gear. He's got boots on, and and Lee Chapman is taken off. Steve said this, I thought Harry was having a laugh with me. I didn't think I was actually going to get on the pitch. But the second half kicked off, and there he was, out on the pitch. He said it was really quick football, totally unused to anything. I was used to playing in my amateur team. He said I was way out of my depth. After five minutes, my legs were shaking, but I was playing for West Ham! He said, I was just running around with this sense of amazement. I'm actually playing for West Ham. I'm actually playing for West Ham, running around on the pitch. And he's chasing the ball here and then everywhere. And then, in the 71st minute, half an hour after he'd been in the stands, stands drinking beer and having a cigarette, Steve gets the ball in front of goal. I just hit it, he says. And the ball flew past the goalkeeper into the bottom corner. And Steve set off in wild celebration. He'd scored for West Ham. He said he was charging around the pitch going like an absolute lunatic. It seemed, he said, like time has stopped still. It was the single greatest moment of my entire life. The perfect end to the story. Or it might have been, except for the fact he was offside and the goal got disallowed. But for 45 minutes... A fan got to play for his team, like the ultimate dream for a bloke. (gasps) Got to do it. I'm going to just be up front with you today. Right here, right now, over these next three weeks, what you're going to get is a consistent, one after the other, invitation from me, from us here, to step into the story of what God is doing in the earth. To come and play your part. To not be on the sidelines watching. To not be on the sidelines going, Oi, what are you doing? You should do that. But to actually put your boots on to come and actually play. To not be like a Larry, kind of looking off the adventures here, there and everywhere. But to be like a Steve. To come and play actually in the game. That's the invitation. I want to tell you the story that we're invited in. And it's told by a guy called Luke. It's not really his story as so much as the story he says, and he starts it like this in Luke chapter one inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as these, as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty containing the things you have been taught. That's how Luke begins the story that you and I A part of the greatest story that has ever been told. Luke goes on throughout his gospel, if you've ever read it, to tell us that there is only one story in the history of stories. There's only one story in the history of the world which is big enough to explain all the beauty and all the brokenness that we see in this world. There's only one story that's big enough to make sense of of all of our desires, all of our dreams, all of our disappointments. There's only one story that makes sense of every other story story that we might ever live out. There's only one story that ultimately gives meaning and gives purpose. There's only one story that ultimately brings hope and ultimately brings joy. And Luke says this is the story. This is the one story that really matters. No other story has eternal consequences like this one does. You see, your life is characterized by decisions and consequences. Every single minute of every single day, you're making a decision that has consequences. And most of those things don't really matter. Which seat you sit in? Well, the consequences, you sit next to somebody who sings loudly or somebody who doesn't. It doesn't really matter other than those few short moments. The decision you're going to make, some of you, it's been made for you. What are you are going to have for lunch? It doesn't really matter. It's just whether you're kind of going to enjoy the food or not. It doesn't really matter. Most decisions in our lives... Have, well, every decision has a consequence. A lot of them don't matter. Some do. Some of you are facing big decisions right now. It's kind of been temporarily put off until tomorrow morning. Decision you've got to make. It has a consequence. It matters. It's important. But nothing matters as much as the consequence of the decision that you make regarding the story that Luke tells Because this has eternal consequences. The decision we make about whether we're going to play a full and active role in the story of God will result in us having an eternity of joy or an eternity of despair. It's that serious, it's that big. It has an impact on our eternal joy. And it's this story that Luke tells is ultimately the story of Jesus. And Luke, announcing Jesus' birth, says this in Luke chapter 2. He says that he's, Jesus is the good news that will cause great joy for all the peoples. Because today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. Luke makes this incredible declaration that there is a king who rules over all things. There is a savior who is railing and reigning over all things. And Luke says, you need to submit to him. You need to live your life in his story. And Luke says, there's no happy ending without Jesus. There's no fulfillment. There's no peace. There might be temporary moments of it. There might be temporary wins in this life. But ultimately, there's no happy ending without Jesus. Because this story, the story of God, is the story within which all other stories find their place. Because all other stories that we're living, no matter how interesting they might seem or exciting they might seem, all other stories that we are living are ultimately broken stories. We don't live in fairy tales. You don't need me to tell you that the story that you're living, the thing that you're pursuing, it's ultimately broken because it isn't all going to be happy ever after. It isn't all going to be lovely and fluffy and cute the whole time. We live in a broken, fallen world. There's pain in the offering. There's misery in the moments. There's hardship and trial in the, in the quest ahead. Why? Because we live in a broken, fallen world. We live in a world full of broken stories. Shattered dreams, things that never quite worked out as we hoped they would, things which seem that they would and then they are just pulled away from us at the last moment, things that we think, I've landed, I've arrived, that relationship, that job, that situation, that's... And then you look back a few weeks, months, years maybe, decades later and go, it never quite worked out as I'd hoped, or it never quite brought that full sense of fulfilment. And this is all because the world has been separated from the original story maker. The original author, God himself, because sin entered the world. But Luke here in this gospel, in this story, proclaims that the reason that Jesus is good news, the reason that he's the the center of the story, the reason that he's the hero, he's the main character, is because he's the savior who can bring reconciliation and redemption. He truly is good news because he really does bring the eternal happy ever after that our hearts crave you're not a Christian here today and you're just looking in, becoming a Christian does not make your problems go away in this life, but it makes your one big problem of what you're going to do for eternity go away. You're going to have an eternal, joyful, joy-filled, happy ever after with him. And it's so easy, if we are a Christian, to get so over-familiar with this story. Yes, Genesis, God made it, it was good. And then here we go, yep, it all got broken, sin entered the world. And then God sets out on this big rescue mission journey to sort it all out. And Jesus is the the hero at the end of the day, and he came to save me. And we can get so familiar with it, we just think it's about me and Jesus and what's going on for an hour and a half on a Sunday morning. But no, 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 this story is way bigger than we think. We see that in Luke because instead of tracing Jesus' lineage, his family line back to Abraham like Matthew does in his gospel, Luke traces it all the way back to the beginning of time to Adam in Luke chapter 3. And he tells us that Jesus came to earth to regain for the human race everything which Adam lost in the garden of Eden. And so he's about more than just making a little few little things right and wrong. Everything which has been broken, Jesus, when he returns again, will make everything right. Everything that has been shattered, he will piece back together. Everything that has been ruined and marred by the brokenness of our world will one day be restored and renewed in the new heavens and the new earth. And Luke tells this story, and he ends his gospel with Jesus's triumphant promise that repentance, for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. This is the story that we're part of. This is where we come into it and this is way bigger than me and Jesus, yay, for half an hour, an hour and a half on a Sunday and maybe if I sign up to it, a community during the week. This goes way beyond our small world in which we so often just look at. This is the big, huge, incredible cosmic story of God's incomprehensible and outrageous acts of redemption. The story of a God gathering a people for his name. Here in the pages of scriptures, we see fierce and unlikely at times heroes. We see terrifying battles. We see pilloried prophets. We see resistant saints. We see miraculous healings. We see a a foot-washing king. We see an empty tomb. We see the final wrath and glory of judgment. We see an ending that's more amazing than anything our minds can perceive. Our eye has seen that we can ever think of. We see the coming of a, a new city with open gates and a purified new people who are now called sons and daughters who shine so brightly the sun is no longer needed because we see and receive the shining glory of Jesus Christ himself and we walk by the light of the Lamb himself. That's the picture, the ending where we going something so magnificent and amazing it puts all of our broken sometimes exciting more often than not stories somewhat into the pale and into this story this is what's so incredible the author speaks he speaks into it he'n't just write it and put it on a shelf and leave it and may or may not sell millions of copies he speaks He spoke right at the beginning, the very first words that God speaks, nothing to do with trees, nothing to do with fruit, nothing to do with warnings, the very first words that God speaks are, be fruitful and multiply. Go, spread out, go and spread out over the earth, go and take the earth, go and display something of the glory of God, go, make sure that there's more of you this time next year than there are this time this year. And in the middle bit of the story, we see the final words of Jesus. Matthew 28, verse 18 to 19. All authority in heaven on earth, Jesus said, has been given to me. Go, therefore, he says and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. God's story starts with his words, go and multiply. In the middle bit, Jesus ends his final earthly ministry with that command to go and multiply, go and make more of you this time next year than there are currently this year. And the story ends in Revelation. That bit I just referenced where one day, the multitude that no one can number from every tribe and every tongue and every race will gather, a multi-ethnic multitude gathered around the throne of God, worshipping him forever. That's what we're part of. That's what we're part of. That's where we've come from. And those commands, go multiply, go make disciples. We're still in that moment. We live in that moment between the now and the not yet. We've not yet reached that place, praise God. So what are we going to do? We're going to do what he said. Multiply. Go be fruitful. Go do it again and again and again. Go and this time next year have more of you doing it than there is this time this year. Praise God that's been our story for a while now. We framed the whole thing that we feel God's calling us to in this understanding of story. The story that God has done here for the past 40 years has been nothing short of remarkable when you think about it. And yet we believe it's time for a new story. A new chapter written Heading, multiplication and growth. It's why we're really passionate about building a church with lots of different people from lots of different backgrounds, made up of lots of smaller communities in lots of different locations, reaching lots of different people and ultimately lots of different nations because it's where we've come from and it's where we're going. And This is why being part of a local church is so important. In this grand cosmic, grand sweeping narrative of the whole massive story of the whole of history, the church is not incidental. It's not some bit part player. It's not sat on the sidelines. It's right at the very heart of the action. In fact, it's central to the whole story. Ephesians 3.10 says, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. The church, as a community of saved, reconciled, redeemed people, is a public demonstration of God's power, His grace, His wisdom, His glory. That's where we've come from. When God says to Abraham, I will make you a father of a multitude, a great nation, that's where we've come from. And where we're going is the day when we will actually get there and arrive. And we're not there yet. And by God's grace, we're we're increasingly becoming like the picture that we see in the future. The church right now should be a prophetic statement of what. is to come. That's why we're serious about wanting to grow in diversity. Across every kind, young, old, black, white, rich, poor, educated, not educated, all the whole, every different realm of it. That's why we're serious about it. That's why we're serious about wanting to see more because the glory of God demands it. It's not always easy. I'll be straight up and honest with you. It's not always fun either. But we've been sold a lie if we think that everything worthwhile is supposed to be easy and fun i got three kids. It's rarely easy. (laughs) And the other one, sometimes. Does that make it not worthwhile? Of course not. Anything worthwhile is worth fighting for. It's worth putting some effort in for. It's worth giving yourself to and not walking away at the first sign of trouble. And let's be honest as well. At times, it's easy to lose hope. This week, 150,000 people in Europe, will die without knowing Christ. This week, 150,000 people. That's 650,000 people a month. That's 7.8 million people a year without Christ. It's easy to lose hope. It's easy to lose hope at times because it's increasingly hard to be a Christian in the UK. It's increasingly hard. I'll be honest, my job's easy, because when I turn up to work, my workplace on Tuesday morning, and say, Jesus is Lord, everyone says, Amen. I say, let's pray, everyone says, right now, boss. I say, let's spend some time singing and worshipping and waiting on God, they say, thank goodness for that, I don't want to have to look at my emails. You don't think being a Christian is hard in the UK? You go and try that tomorrow morning when you go to work. (laughs) It's hard, man. I mean, I find it hard enough, like, telling people I'm a church pastor and all that kind of stuff. You guys live the thing. You're out in an actual mission field that is increasingly difficult to live as a Christian in. With a world culture and a worldview that is so anti-Christ... And anti the gospel, not just neutrally passive, actively against it. That is difficult. And it's easy at times to lose hope. And here's where you should read history. Because the church throughout its history for 2,000 years has faced trial and persecution And moments of seeming obliteration and moments where the empire or the culture or the kingdom or whatever it is to seem so incredibly strong that the church truly has no hope. And yet, the church still stands today. It's outlasted empires. It's outlasted cultures. It's outlasted nations it's outlasted kingdoms, it will outlast corporations, it will outlast any increasingly, seemingly increasingly secular advance because it is led by the one who rules over all things, who's the king of kings and the lord of lords and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church ain't going anywhere. We've been professional secularists and sociologists and historians have been predicting the church's demise for generations. Good luck with that. It's a bit like the, the guy who, who rolled, the, when they rolled the, the, uh, the stone in front of the tomb and said, make sure you, secure it, sec- you make it secure, he can't get out. And you just think, good luck with that. The king of kings is behind there and you think he can't move the stone out of the way. You think the church is going anywhere? Good luck with that. Because the king of kings leads. The king of kings is in charge. The one who made everything and spoke everything and with his breath still takes life if he so wishes is in charge. He rules, he reigns. We stand at a moment of unprecedented challenge in the UK. And yet it's a moment of unprecedented opportunity for us. It's a moment where when everything is seemingly dark, that's when the light shines the brightest. There's a David Attenborough documentary. And you know, like David Attenborough, nature documentaries. There's one in a jungle somewhere. And there's this bit where there's the whole diversity of life in the jungle and a tree that stood there for thousands of years, probably, certainly hundreds, has fallen, and it's created a gap in the, in the jungle. It's created a, a big space, and now there's basically a fight for life to suddenly flourish and fill the gap. Right now in our culture, in this country, it's like a giant tree has fallen. The last five to ten years, suddenly this vacuum that is desperately trying to be filled with all sorts of stuff. Like faith in institutions has gone. Faith in government has gone. Faith in anything that has kind of stood for a long time. It's like, we don't believe that anymore. We're changing the nature of everything. Things which no one has ever even questioned in the last five to ten years have just not only been questioned but radically changed. And it doesn't look like it's gonna stop anytime soon. And that, that, that gap, if you like, in our culture is now desperately being tried to be filled with all sorts of ideas, philosophies, things, agendas, all the rest of it. And in this David Attenborough jungle, something incredible happens. You see the response of the jungle when the, the tree falls. See, instantly a race for life begins amongst the plant life to fill that space. Light pours in, space opens up to be filled. And the the space where the uh, the tree had fallen is filmed over months using like time lapse photography, you know, where you can just goes really quickly, uh, take a photo every day, all that kind of stuff. And the space, as you watch it, is is quickly filled with a variety of like these broad leafed plants, and they grow really quickly, and they look really quite rapid and spectacular. But then you notice that soon thin trees begin to, to break through. these broad-leafed plants, and they're shooting their way up into the unoccupied space. They begin to fill out their branches with leaves. It begins to look all quite impressive, and the growth of these trees seems really impressive compared to the broad-leafed plants around them, yet next to the giant trunks of the trees around them, they look really quite puny. It's not that impressive at all. And then you realize that those trees are actually quite precarious because very quickly these vines begin to come up and they begin to strangle and pull down these little trees and the vines begin to grow and get really quite impressive and these vines get thicker and and they're growing up all over the other trees and they're snaking their way up and soon they look like they've won. They absolutely dominate the space and the the sunlight and these thin trees that were once there are seemingly invisible now, they've gone, the broadleaf plants, they've totally gone, the vines appear to have won the race. Nowhere near like what else was standing there before, but they seem like they've won now. For a while in the video thing, there's nothing there but the vines. The growth appears to have halted. But then something incredible happens. Something magnificent happens. A lone trunk, seemingly from nowhere, pierces a blanket of vines, and its trunk is thicker, it's more solid, It starts to rise above the vines and it keeps moving. At first, doubling the height of the other trees, and then soon competing for the open space at the top. Soon, it is ten times their height. It is huge and has filled this space. And before long, it's reached the height of the surrounding trees. It's this gigantic, magnificent tree. The space behind it has now been left as that was left has now been filled, and this tree will stand for centuries. The broadleaf plants that initially fill the space by doing something spectacular and really quite quick will. Well, they've gone. The vine, their vine, their leaves and all that kind of stuff, their roots are all right fragile and they've gone. And in their place has stood something huge. They sacrificed those little plants' long-term sustainability for short-term growth. And then when that tree breaks through, it sacrificed short-term growth for long-term health. It seemingly loses the battle in order to win the war. It grows so solid and so impressive that everything else crumbles and falls apart around it. Listen, here's the thing. When it comes to building church in 21st century Britain, we can try and create something that is spectacular and visible, but ultimately it's just going to be fragile. We can try and build on something that is a quick fix solution, just pack people in, that's all we're bothered about, bums on seats, that's all we're interested in. As long as you're here, we don't care what you do and how you live your life. We can just go for that, just the big spectacular more and it will look impressive, but ultimately it's not going to last anywhere. But the huge tree wins the race by doing something counterintuitive. When the others fight for air and space, it goes underground. When the others fight and head upwards, pushing through the surface, it, it goes deep. While the others pursue visibility at the expense of stability, the tree remains underground, hidden, producing powerful, deep roots. The deep underground foundations of the tree ensure that it is connected to deep and unseen sources of water, nutrients, and life. And once these are secured, growth then happens. sort of reminds me a little bit of Psalm 1. The righteous man is like a tree planted in streams of water. The tree is willing to lose the initial battle in order that it wins the war. And in our culture where, which corrodes and seduces us, which erodes commitment, it's no longer about any kind of commitment to anything, I'll just dip in and out when you feel like it, which erodes faith, which erodes any sense of, of covenant, we need to be like the tree. The response to a culture built on superficiality which reduces the world to, to shallow depth, to shallowness, the response to that is depth. We need sources of life and sustenance not found in the adoration or the respect of culture and of the public. In our culture, which rips at the roots, which tears at, at foundations, we need depth, we need roots, and we need deep foundations. At the beginning of his ministry, in Isaiah, Jesus quotes Isaiah 61. says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And he goes on in verse 4 of chapter 61, he says, They will rebuild the ancient ruins. They will restore the former devastations. They will renew the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. That's who we are. We're the rebuilders of the walls. That's who we are, the ones who give ourselves the deep, often unseen, hidden moments in God. Yes, there'll be moments of public display. Yes, there'll be moments of of public proclamation. Don't hear what I'm not saying, but we are those who give ourselves to the seemingly counterintuitive, one, two, three, quick step to spiritual growth and actually give ourselves to the discipline of spending time in the presence of God, who give ourselves to the discipline of spending time reading the word of God, who give ourselves to the discipline of developing ourselves spiritually to maturity in order that he might build something of real substance here, if we want to fill that space, we need to go deep in order to go up. We're not looking for quick fix solutions. And the reason I'm not doing a vision Sunday and saying it is because we're just, I don't want. I'm not interested in gimmicks. We're not interested in announcing stuff. We want to package things and make things as accessible and as easy as we can to get people involved and get people connected. But fundamentally, we're giving ourselves to something much bigger. And counterintuitive, slow, mundane often very ordinary ways of the normal Christian life, all that Dave was talking about last week, are harder. Because frankly, discipline, it always is harder. But that's how we grow. Individuals and corporately. That's how we play ourselves in the big story. That's how we ultimately receive our well-done, good and faithful servant at the end of time when we stand before the Lord. Because we've given ourselves to the things he says we should give ourselves to. We've given ourselves in prayer, week of prayer. Come along if you're at all possible. We've given ourselves to the word. We've given ourselves to cultivating worship. We've given ourselves to cultivating the gifts he's given us. And when you don't understand that this is the big story and this is how we play our part, you end up like Larry, looking for adventure, thinking I need to do something, just tired of sitting around. But when you do get it, you're a bit more like Steve Davis. What me? You want me to play. You've picked me. But I, I'm just on the sidelines. I'm nowhere near as good as those guys who are actually out there playing. I, I can't do it as well as they can do it. There's, there's no pot. I'm not. No, you want me. You've chosen me. I'm not the kid left over at the end because you've got no, no other options. He picks you. He's chosen you. That wonderful word. He's not disappointed in you. Nothing that you did or didn't do or will do or will ever do has affected his decision to save you. He didn't choose you and then think, oh dear, I made it a mistake, I blew it. He is not disappointed in you. Even you right now is going, yeah, but, yeah, but me, I've the last few years, you, you, the last few years you might not have done anything you're supposed to do. He's not disappointed in you, he's calling you today. Put your boots on and play in the story. See, if we don't see this big story, we're aimless. We're wandering around thinking, well, what next? If we do, we're wondering, what's God going to do next? If we don't get the story, we get bitter. God, why is this happening to me? It's not supposed to work like this. But if we do get the story, we're not bitter. We're waiting. God, how are you going to break through on this for me? How are you going to move this forward? If we think we're not aware of this big story, we get angry. God, that shouldn't be happening. But when we do get the story, we're not angry. We're watching. God, how are you going to work this for your glory? When we don't get the story, we get cynical. Yeah, I've heard it before. Whatever. We'll see. No, no, no. When we do get the story, we're not cynical. We're praying. God, I've heard it before. It's not happened. Make it happen this time. When we don't get the story, we're controlling. I'll get involved, but only on my terms. When I want to. How it suits me. When we do get the story, we're not controlling, we're submitting. God, your story is about your glory. Whatever you want me to do, I will do. Even that thing which I've said I'll never do again. Because you call me, I'll do it. When we don't get the story, we're thankless. We feel like we deserve something. No one ever sees anything. No one ever says, well done to me. Fine, I'll show them. I ain't doing it this year. When we do get the story, we're thankful. God, if no one ever says anything to to me ever again, I know you see me and I know that I'm living for an audience of one. And if they see me, then thank you, Jesus, I'll take that. And if they don't, I know you do and that's enough for me. If we don't get the story, we're blaming. Well, someone else should be doing this, you should be doing that. Why are you not using me? Why are you not doing that? Why are you not? When we do get the story, we're not blaming, we're repenting. God, I'm so sorry I made it about me. I'm so sorry, I wrote myself as the hero of the story you are, and it's all about you and all about your glory, and so I repent. I choose right now to submit to you, to follow you. Here's the invitation. Step into the story. Come and join it. What size boots are you? Come and play. We'll help you find your feet. We'll help you find your place. There are over 40 different communities. Get yourself into this thing. Read it. Sign up for it. Go for it. Over 40 different options if there's really nothing there at all that suits you, well, we'll talk to you about starting a community that does. And if you're thinking, I'm I'm not sure about this whole story. I don't really get it. I'm not really sure I believe in God or I'm not really sure it's all real. There's a course for you. It's called the Alpha Course. And sign up, come along, ask every question you want. Promise you. you Ask whatever you want, don't matter. I'm really confident that the answers are found in Christ. But you're welcome to come and doubt that and explore. If you're thinking, I, I want to know more about this story. Literally, my knowledge of the Bible is Genesis, good. Sin happens, bad. Jesus, good. End, good. And the, everything else is a massive gap. Sign up to the GPS course. How this whole thing fits together. It's all in here. So you're looking, what's that? You don't know because I haven't told you about it. but It's in here. If you're kind of new to this thinking, I want to play my part. I want to get involved. How do I get involved? Sign up to the DNA course. To help you find your way in to do it. But each and every one of us... We start by submitting to Christ, giving him all the glory, and saying, Jesus, use me. We're going to end by. Thanks for listening to this talk from New Community. For more information about New Community, check out newcommunitychurch.org.uk.